0: And he's right up at the judge there. Jesus. <clears throat> a minute later, a preacher dies. So he's, he's next in line. And so Jesus uh, tells the taxi driver, well, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And he, he opens the pearly gates and he points over yonder and there's this beautiful mansion just gorgeous, massive, and the taxi driver is just astounded, and goes and walks on over to his mansion, and heads on in there, and the preacher's thinking, man, I bet your mind's going to be good, if, if the taxi driver got that, I wonder what mine's going to be like, so he steps up to the pearly gates, and the Lord says, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord, He opens up the pearly gates and the preacher steps through and he points over yonder at a little, quaint little cottage. He says, there's your dwelling place, my son. He said, well, I don't understand, Lord. Uh, Taxi driver there, he's he's set up pretty nice. and, And me, I'm with the little cottage. You know, what gives? And he says, well, son, while you were preaching, they were sleeping. But when he was driving... They were praying <laughs> That's it, man that was That was the end of the joke, Chris. I'll have my wife explain it to you when, when it's all over <laughs> Were you a good one? Yeah. In so chapter 19, we see that uh, the Lord has been crucified and buried. And then in chapter 20, we see that Jesus has risen from the dead. And he's seen by Mary Magdalene and the disciples. And scripture also indicates that Jesus spent a little time with the disciples teaching and performing signs. Here in chapter 20. It's a miserable thing to be a backslider. Of all unhappy things that a man... Can befall, I suppose, backsliding is the worst. A stranded ship, a broken winged eagle, a garden overrun with weeds, a harp without strings, a church in ruins. All these are sad sights. But a backslider is sadder sight still. That true grace shall never be extinguished and that true union with Christ can be broken off. And I do believe that many men fall away so far that he shall lose sight of his own grace and despair of his own salvation. And if this is not hell, it certainly is the next thing to it. A wounded conscience, a mind sick of itself, a memory full of self-reproach, a heart pierced through with the Lord's arrows, a spirit broken with a load of inward accusation. All of this is a taste of hell. It's hell on earth. Father, we come tonight, we want to commit your word, the teaching. We want to hear your voice. We thank you for taking us as your very own children and and being that father, being responsible for our lives, claiming ownership over us. Lord, we thank you. And we dedicate this time to you tonight in Jesus' name. So follow along. We're going we're to do the first half tonight, okay? First four, 14 verses. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Verse 4, when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then they said to them, then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. No. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it. And plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged a net to land full of large fish, one hundred and fifty three, and although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. And this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So verse one, here we see the next set of events. Jesus again shows himself to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, synonymous with the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret. Same body of water. It's the Sea of Galilee most commonly referred to. It's really a lake. I forget, what are the dimensions, John? It's like four miles across and seven miles long. Fairly small body of water. Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. Matthew 26, 31 through 32. So he told them, I'm going to die. They're going to bury me. I'm going to raise from the dead and I'll meet you in Galilee. Told them up front. He fulfilled his promise. The Lord Jesus ain't never broke one single promise ever. And he never will. Mark fourteen twenty eight tells us the same thing. Now, this is not the first time that Jesus has appeared to the group. His, his first post-resurrection appearance was on the day that he rose. Back in chapter 20, verse 9. He came and he stood in their midst, but apparently the doors were shut. And I, I believe they were likely locked. John 20, 19 says this, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. I, I have the privilege of teaching the fifth and sixth graders here at our church. Uh, I've been doing it for a lot of years. Um, and it's. That's my thing. And I love it. But something, something that I like to do with the kids is, is I like to talk about heaven. So we have certain curriculum that we, you know, we're going to follow and verses and worksheets and that kind of stuff. But I regularly like to just stop and I'll, and I'll just ask, all right, all right, gang, tell me something about heaven. And they'll raise their hands and, and, and everyone will, will throw out one thing you know good 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 and we'll just we will just engage in discourse about heaven and and about things that they know about heaven and and some things that they forgot about heaven some things they didn't know about heaven i don't claim to know everything about heaven but there's a lot in the bible about heaven and i love it so i talked to the kids about what kind of body Jesus must have had in order to simply appear among the group. I mean, I think about that stuff. Walking through walls and teleporting. Right? Yeah, disappearing. Boom. Luke 24, Jesus appears and vanishes before their eyes. After he eats some fish and honey. Got to have a physical body to be putting something in your belly, I would think. Or, I don't know, does he disintegrate it with his teeth? I mean, he's got a physical body, but it certainly is different than the one that he had before he died. Um, I'd like to have everyone take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So you can. Save your place there in John, and then turn over to first corinthians fifteen. I want to read some verses there first corinthians chapter fifteen that talks about the resurrected body we're going to and we're going to start at verse thirty five 1 Corinthians 15:35. We're going to go down to 49. But someone will say, and this is Paul writing, someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of there is one, there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another flesh of fish, and another flesh of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for one star differs from another star in glory. Verse 42, so all so also in the resurrection of the dead, the body is sown in incorruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown, a natural body, is raised, a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. Verse 49. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Look at verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. So we talk about that with the kids. (laughs) My knees ache, my shoulder aches. It hurts to play an A chord on my guitar, right? Those knuckles right there. That's kind of a bummer, right? You're like, man, I really like doing that, but that's kind of painful. (laughs) I like to hunt deer in the woods too, but climbing them mountains, that's painful too. We talk about when we see him, we will be like him. And then I asked them, I, I, I asked the kids, I said, where do I get these ideas? Are you checking up on me? Am I making this up? And every one of them goes, no, it's in the Bible. And every word of scripture is true. Every single word is true. And them kids know it. We talk a lot about heaven, about being with Jesus face to face. Right? I know he's real. I have my faith. It's the evidence of things that I can't see. But one day, I'm going to see him. We talk about that. What, What... Man, what's that one, that one song, it was by Mercy Me, and it says, I can only imagine what it will be like. Oh, man, that, that song's tough. We talk about the tree of life. You know, there's a, a couple of trees of life in heaven on either side of the throne. We talk about that. I wonder what that tastes like. The leaves are for the healing of the nations, it says. The fruit is for food. I'm planning on eating something off the tree of life. We talk about the river of life proceeding from the throne. We talk about streets of gold. We we, we talk about the foundations of the new Jerusalem, how they're diamonds and precious stones and... and How God considers the precious materials and the valuable materials that we consider precious and valuable, they're nothing but building material for Him. We talk about ruling and reigning as kings and priests unto our God. We talk about no sun in heaven. No moon in heaven. Don't need it. Because God and the lamb are the light thereof. Yeah. I mean, that one gives me goosebumps, man. Matthew 13, 43. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Remember when Moses came down from Sinai? And he, and he showed up at the group and they, were, they couldn't look at him. His face was shining like a star, literally. Like a welding rod. They were going blind. They had to put a bag over his head. Because he had been in the presence of God. And that was just God's backside. When we see Jesus, we're going to be like Jesus. We're going to be walking around like stars in heaven. I ain't making it up. We talk about eternal paradise with the kids. No more time. You can throw your watch away. It's it's forever. I tell them, you if if you make it to heaven and you've been you've been in heaven for a million, jillion, trillion, gazillion, billion years, that's just the first day because you just got there. Because the second day is a million, jillion, and so you know. I, I play this word game with them because it's and it's not even a good comparison. You, you can't equate time with eternity, but it never, ever ends. Likewise, the lake of fire, which runs concurrently. There's no end. By the way, eternal life, we have it now. We don't have to wait. It's not something that that is going to occur when we die. We have it now. We have eternal life now, quality of life. No more sin. We talk about that. Oh, man. What a drag sin is. It's gone. No more time. No more sin. It's stuck on the moon. It was a joke. No, No moon? Okay. No sorrow. Nothing but pure joy and worship. And that where he is, we will be also. Xavier, he's fond of saying, if Jesus Christ is in hell, that's where I want to be. And at first, when I first heard that 24 years ago, I thought, hmm, that's weird. But then the more I thought about it and the more I learned about who Jesus was. and That's right. Wherever he's at is the best place to be. We talk about these things with the kids. We're going to judge angels. Try that. Judge angels. We have a mansion, and, and we we go on and on, and we spend the whole class. And they just they're asking questions. What, what about this? And what about that? And and they're just. It's it is my favorite topic. Don't ever forget about heaven, ever. Paul said, "Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth." Colossians 3.2. Now, verse 2 tells us who's in the group uh, that's about to have this encounter with Jesus. We see it's Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel. Nathaniel is Bartholomew, according to Matthew 10.3. We know Peter, sometimes it's called Simon or Simon Peter. Nathanael is Bartholomew. James and John, the sons of Zebedee or the sons of Thunder. And we also have two more unnamed disciples. You pick. So we've got seven total full listing of the 12 disciples um, is in Matthew chapter 10, verse three. Now, Peter and the others decide to go fishing. So I'm thinking there must have been several days that must have passed since they saw Jesus, since he rose from the dead and materialized in their their locked up meeting room. They're likely feeling lost without their leader. We know that they're in hiding of sorts because the Bible tells us that they'd gathered in secret for fear of the Jews. Oh man, they, they caught him, nailed him to a tree, ripped his back open with a whip. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I want to get caught. I might be feeling the same way. They're hiding. You know, Are they coming after the rest of us? I would have thought the same thing. They're likely depressed and a little bored. Now that Jesus is gone. Now think about it. For three years, they roamed the countryside of Israel with the most famous person around. There were crowds and miracles happening before their very eyes every single day. They were the talk of all Israel. And suddenly now it has all stopped, starting with the murder of their leader. They've gone from 100 miles an hour to zero miles an hour in an instant. That's hard to do. I'm sure some days have gone past, maybe even weeks, since they've seen Jesus. Acts 1, three says, To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He hung around for 40 days. We know that Jesus appeared to them on or around the 40 day mark and floated up into heaven right before their very eyes in Acts chapter 1 verse 9. So it's not likely that they spent 40 days straight with Jesus. He was popping in and out. And I'm guessing it had been many days since Jesus popped in. And Peter likely thought that Jesus wouldn't be popping back in. Because he says, man, I'm going fishing. It's like he's out of ideas. He's out of, I don't, what do I do? You know, I'm, I guess I'm going to go fishing. He goes back to his old job. Now to me, fishing's fun, I, but I don't do it for a living. I, I do it for recreation. I think Jesus has given these guys a chance to start spreading the word about what has happened. He wants them to think about all the events that they've just experienced and witnessed. But Jesus knows that he's going to need to come back and spell it out for these guys. Obviously, they're going fishing. They have new jobs. They're not fishermen anymore. But apparently they don't get it yet. They're supposed to feed the sheep. John 6.21, John 6.15 and 17. They're also supposed to preach the gospel of salvation to the entire world. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. (coughs) Let's see. If I'm going to preach the gospel to the entire world, do I have time to go fishing? No. They are no longer to be fishing for fish, but for men. Matthew 4.19, Jesus said, he, I, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's like backsliding what they're doing here. It's like going back to the old way of doing things. It's going back to the inferior way and the inferior lifestyle. Proverbs twenty six eleven says, As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Peter repeats it, and he says, It's happened to them according to the true pro- proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having been washed to her wallowing in the mire. We are to constantly grow. We are to always be pressing forward, always running to win. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Philippians three thirteen through 14 I am to keep myself in the faith. I have to, on purpose, keep myself in. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your eyes all the days of your life and, and then teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Deuteronomy 4.9. I love it when the Old Testament nails a modern principle. I always like to grab those. My wife cannot keep my faith for me. I must keep my faith myself. Through study, through prayer, prayer, through fellowship. Notice the second part of of verse 3. Everyone, you can go back to John now. John 21, second part of verse 3. They caught nothing. Backsliding is always unproductive. It will always leave your net empty. Every single time. Verse 4, Jesus appears on the shoreline. When the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. This is an interesting little section here. and We'll, we'll get into it a little bit more right here, but I... I always wonder, like, how? Okay, well, how come they don't know it's him? Maybe they were just so far out and they didn't have good binoculars back then, and it was, he was just like this little, you know, little speck on the shore. You know, okay, all right. You ever notice, like, like I like westerns. I like old westerns. Love them. But do you ever notice how, like, some, some some guy will be in a depot or a cabin or something, and you know, there's a rider, you know, five miles out, and they know exactly who it is. All right, here comes, here comes Old John. they know Andre how do they know (laughs) oh they read the script (laughs) disciples didn't know who it was this doesn't seem out of the ordinary on the surface after all a person's face may not be distinguishable from out on the lake it's possible that their eyes were temporarily restrained we've we've I've thought about this, this notion as I read some of these other scriptures. Like the two men who walked with him on the road to Emmaus. And he, he began to open the scriptures and just shared with them until they got where they were going. And then he disappeared and they said, and they knew who he was at that point. They, they said, our hearts burned within us. But how did, they, how did they not, I mean, how long did they walk with him? Hours. How did they not know it was him or Mary Magdalene (laughs) whom Jesus casted seven demons out of who anointed his feet with her own tears. Didn't recognize him and he was standing six inches away from her. What's up with that? She thought he was the gardener. Excuse me, Mr. Gardener, If you've, if you've stolen his body, tell me where it's at didn't recognize him. That says something. Something's going on. We do know that they. uh, That these guys must have been very close to the shore because of verse five. What does verse five say? Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they said, no. They were close enough to hear. Verse eight then tells us exactly how far they were. 200 cubits. They're 300 feet, 30 yards. I mean, they were almost home. I mean, they were almost ready to beach it. That's why he said, hey, do you guys have anything to eat? And they said, uh-uh. 30 yards? I, I can recognize faces. I know who I'm talking to. So in verse 5, he sends them a clue. He says, he calls them children. It's a term of endearment. We are His own children. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. Joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Romans 8, 16-17. That's another one we talk about the kit talk about with the kids. We're joint heirs with Christ. So 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 Christ owns the universe. Uh-huh. So we we kind of own the universe? Well, we yeah. Yeah. We're adopted. That's our inheritance. He's sharing it with us. It's mind-blowing stuff. So this word children appears in the New Testament 124 times, both in reference to Israel, the children of Israel, and to believers. Not only does Jesus call us his children, Paul and John both address believers as little children throughout the New Testament. It's as though they are claiming ownership over us, just as we claim ownership over our very own children. Man, having children has really shed a lot of light on Scripture for me. It's, it has kind of taken my understanding to another level because before I had children, I couldn't really relate to the father as a father. Like, like the fact that, that, that he turned his back on his very own son and, and allowed him to be nailed onto a tree. And could have stopped it. I, I can't. There's no way. There is no way. You'd have, to, you'd have to kill me dead. To keep me from coming to my kids rescue. That kind of love is beyond me. But what I have for my kids in me gives me a glimpse of what he has in his heart for me and for you. Jesus, Paul, and John are acting in a fatherly manner and claiming responsibility for our lives just as we do our own children. It's an incredible display of love. If my kid breaks a window, I'm paying for it. I'm responsible for my children. I, I'm, I may make then work it off somehow and, and pay it back, but I'm going to make it right up front. Jesus asks if they have any food. He knows they don't. He knows everything. I tell the kids, too, I'm like, hey, you know what? Jesus knows what you're thinking right now. That's right. So I don't got to worry. I believe this is an opportunity for him to segue into another little miracle that will give away his identity. He's still God. He's always been, still continues, and always will be God. The death of his physical body could not change that. He raised himself from the dead. As I've said many times, every subatomic particle in the universe is at his command. This this podium right here, he's holding it together. He's keeping all of the atoms together. One of these days, he's going to let go of everything, and it's, it's just going to fly apart. He has given us access to... Pair with him and to benefit from his mighty power, Jesus is so powerful that it can't even be described. Paul said, "When I, when he's talking about himself, you know, he was he was stoned and caught up into the third heaven, and he saw the dwelling place of God, and then God sent him back to Earth to come back alive." And he says. You know, my desire is to depart and to be with Christ, but it's far better for me right now to to remain with you guys. But he says, he goes, I can't even begin to describe the things that I saw. It wouldn't be lawful. I wouldn't even know where to begin. To there, there are no human words to describe what I saw. Where God lives. Same thing with His power. We have no idea. I mean, we look around and we go, yeah, he's, he's powerful. We have no idea. And we, we get to benefit from that power. It's, he's ready to use it for us. Ask anything in my name and you will receive it. If I ask for a $5 million bank account, will I receive that? It's unlikely. That's, that's not according to his name. It's not according to his will for my life. What if I ask for wisdom? What if I ask for patience? What if I ask for faith? I'm going to get them things. Verse 6, Jesus instantly fills their nets to capacity. The catch was so heavy that they couldn't even pull it in. This is a repeat of the same miracle in Luke 5, 6. But it's a little different. The nets were breaking because there were so many fish in the first one. It was at that miracle that Peter fell down at, his, at the feet of Jesus and acknowledged him as a holy God. If you remember in Luke 5, 4 through 11, when, it, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, we'll, we'll go out again. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking so that they signaled their partners in another boat to come help. And they filled both boats and they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken and so also were John, uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they, when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Verse 7, they recognized the Lord. The disciple whom Jesus loved is John. He, he, that's how he refers to himself throughout this gospel. He uses the phrase four times in the book of John. John, uh, as an example, thirteen twenty-three. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Speaking about himself. Seeing the miracle, John immediately makes the connection. He's like, nets, fish, full. Oh, it's, it's the Lord. He declares it to Peter. There's been many times in my life where I have witnessed supernatural miracles. And I knew it instantly. And I knew that it was the work of the Lord. I remember watching my two daughters being born. In the room when it happened. Incredible miracle. A human coming out of a human. with all her fingers and stuff. When when my daughter Amy was um, three years old, she had an open-heart surgery. She had to have a couple of little things fixed there. And we were at Children's Hospital in Los Angeles. I mean, it was so fast. I mean, that was a miracle. Uh, but we're, we're at Children's Hospital, and, and she comes out of surgery, and you know everything went well and she's in the ICU and you you can you can okay you can go see her now and so we're in the ICU and you know I'm just like I'm wiped out I I mean I can't believe it I'm just you know my heart's torn open but um we met this this other woman there and uh she had a little baby who was 6 months old who had just gone through open heart surgery 6 months old and had a uh, uh she was in, intubated intubated okay been there for ten days, couldn't breathe on her own, and they're trying to keep her alive because when she came out of surgery, she she wouldn't start breathing. Ten days, she was only this only this long on on the cot, and, and I remember her mother uh, was there, and the little baby's name was Brianna, and uh, I remember we were in the ICU, and there was there was a few beds, and little kind of cubicles there, and um, there was there was you know we were we, the mother had began conversations with lily you know you know what are you doing about this what are you doing about that and so my wife was encouraging her and stuff and and we noticed that you know she's telling us a story she's been here 10 days she hasn't she hasn't breathed and you know we're we're worried and the doctors i remember the doctors had turned away from the bed and the nurse and and so my wife and i grabbed uh the mother's hand we said you mind if we pray for your baby and she's like, yeah, okay, great. So, I mean, literally, right over the bed, and we just we just prayed to the Lord. You know, let this little girl start breathing. And so, so we said amen, and, and, and the doctors, you know, it, it, as soon as we stepped away, the doctors kind of came back. They, they let us finish our prayer. So a couple minutes later, I, I, I remember walking out of the double doors of the ICU room. And I walked out, and... Um, Pastor Fernando and Pastor Xavier were coming up the hallway. And so we met right in front of the ICU exit, where, you know, where the double doors where you go in and out of there. And so I was greeting them and kind of giving them an update, and all of a sudden the, the doors come flying open. Bam! And here comes this gurney. And the doctors, and it's, and it's little baby Brianna, and the mother's crying. And she said, she's breathing. Yeah. Minutes after we prayed. I couldn't believe it. I just about fell down on my knees because I knew. Yeah. I'm convinced that I witness miracles every day without knowing it. The Lord works in my life in plain and natural ways. I didn't get killed on the freeway today, that's a miracle. 80 miles an hour. Three feet from another car doing 80 miles an hour. The only thing separating us is some white paint. Getting a flat tire. That's got to be a miracle. Because I'm convinced that the Lord is stopping me so that some tragedy up the road doesn't come my way. It used to be a real drag getting a flat tire. Now I'm like, thank you, Lord. <clears throat> getting stuck behind a train, that's a real bummer, ain't it? You know, the arms come down. Now they got the, the what, the metro, man. It's like you got to wait for four trains. You're like, oh, man. That's the Lord. The, the Lord is, if, if I am his, if you are his, he has got his hands on every moment of your life. Battling cancer, the death of a loved one living through a flood, can you imagine well, what's going on within floods and, and living there? We've got to know that God has his hand on our lives every moment. we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose Romans 828 now apparently Peter was fishing in his underwear. Says he had to get dressed. He was so anxious to be with Jesus that he swam to shore. When he realized that was Jesus and he looked around at that net that was dragging him down they weren't they weren't getting to shore he says man I'm, he must have thought it's going to be another hour before these guys make it to shore. I'm, I'm going now. And he dives in and swims to shore. Have you ever dropped everything, including work, to spend time with Jesus? It's important to do so. He will honor it. It's difficult in this culture to eliminate distraction. We, we, make a, we have to make a purposeful effort to stay connected to Jesus. Set the alarm clock an hour earlier. I have a, I have a Bible on my desk at work. It's corporate America. But they let me keep a Bible. No no one says anything about it. I got the idea because I've seen some other guys with Bibles. And sometimes all I can do is flip it open and get one. And go back to work. That's one. That's the voice of God for that moment. And it makes a difference. Peter's dedication to Jesus is without question. Now, verse 8, the rest of the disciples follow in the boat. Notice they ended up just dragging the net to shore. Forget it, man, we're not getting it in. Just drag it. It was too heavy to gather up and lift, which is the standard procedure. When the Lord does something in our lives, he goes above and beyond, doesn't he? To him who was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think, according to his power. That works in us. If you then being evil. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven. Give good things to him who asks. Verse 9. Jesus was cooking breakfast on the beach. What incredible comfort this must have been. I love campfires. I love the beach. I love the woods. I love fresh fish. Wild game cooked over an open fire. I mean, it's like, that's the best. Dry land. Good company. The Lord is there. Hello? Verse 10. Jesus requests some of the freshly caught fish. The Lord has always provided my family and I with fresh food. I do not take that for granted. Because... There are thousands of people down in Houston right now and I guarantee you some of them people are Christians. Real Christians. And they don't have fresh food. They've been flooded out. And all they have is what they swam out with. My family has never gone hungry. Ever. And I don't take that for granted either. David said, "I've I've been a young man and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread." You see the guy over on the freeway, and he's you know, hey, um, little help here. Got God? They always write God bless on there. Well, like, I don't know that they're able to 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 bless me that way because. If, if they were truly his child, they wouldn't be standing there on the corner of the freeway begging. Because the Bible says so. I'm his child. I'm his descendant. I would never let my kids do that. Psalm 103.5. three five, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Verse eleven, Peter immediately fulfills the Lord's request. He he goes and grabs the net. The men are astonished that the net isn't broken. That's another miracle. Remember the first time, the net broke. God's in control of every molecule in the entire universe. He can fill a net with fish when there are no fish in the area. And he can hold an old used net together when it would normally tear. Nothing is beyond the Lord's ability. Except the violation of my free will. He will not do it. He will not violate my free will. If I elect to, to destroy my life and to walk away from him, he will not force me to be blessed. Now is he gonna is he gonna call out to me? You bet. If I see my kid going wrong, I'm I'm pursuing. He will speak to me. He will attempt to redirect me. He will allow circumstances to gain, gain my attention. Young man that I know, uh, I knew a lot of years ago, uh, Hernan Hermosillo. He's like a 30-year-old guy now. I knew him when he was 10 years old. I just I, just, I occasionally will talk to his dad. Um, yeah, but I found out through another friend here that uh, he was in a mo- motorcycle accident. He's a, he's a grown man now. He's a motorcycle mechanic, 30 years old. Uh, got got in a motorcycle accident and as a result um, lost one of his legs below the knee. It, there was it was hamburger, they had to they had to remove it. And so I was talking to my friend and he goes, Yeah, you know, we we got to the hospital and we were seeing him for the first time after the accident. We walked in the room and the first thing he said is, Dad, I need my Bible. And he'd walked away from the Lord. But he knew he deduced that God has been trying to get his attention, and this is what it took. Because he's been ignoring and ignoring and ignoring. Man, I, I, I have that potential. I have the potential to ignore God so much that he's got to do something drastic to get my attention. It's better to enter into life with only one eye right, than to have both of them and go into hell. This this dude's literally down to one leg. Man, I, I hope I'm I'm not that ever I hope I don't ever get that that stubborn. But a boy I sure could. We all could. I had to exercise my free will to say yes and to follow him, I still have free will. He didn't he didn't take it away. So the question is, do I follow the Lord? Do I obey his request? Do I obey his directives? While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Hebrews 3.15. The word here in the Greek here is to understand with the intent to follow through in obedience. When I see or hear something today that can be harmful to my relationship with the Lord and I hear him say loud and clear, turn away, son. Do I? And I hear that voice like 35 times a day in America, right? This world is, is bad news. No temptation is overtaking you except such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be, that you may be able to bear it. You know, the, the old proverb, you, you can't stop a bird. From flying over your head. I'm going to see stuff. I'm going to hear stuff. But I sure can stop that bird from building a nest on top of my head. When I see it. When I hear it. Do I bring my thoughts captive. Obedient to Jesus Christ. And turn from it. And walk the straight line. Most of the time I do, sometimes I don't. And I know that's the same for all of us. And whenever I don't, it always ends up in pain. It never one time ended up good. Did it? Never. Sin is always a a destruction. Verse 12, very interesting verse here. First of all, 12a, Jesus invites the men to have a meal. Now, Jesus... Uh, has invited every one of us to sup with him in a couple of different ways. Figuratively speaking in the form of fellowship, spending time with him, study, prayer, fellowship of the believers, like what we're doing right now. Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. In the Greek, it means to have an evening meal, right? Anyone here? I have dinner with Jesus lately. Nobody. He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of the throne of the Father. He's invisible to us. We have His Holy Spirit right now. So I'm not having dinner with Jesus. So my fellowship with Him is spiritual. Not face to face. By the way, the context here in this verse is the church has kicked Jesus out. Of his very own church. And he's standing outside knocking on the door asking, Hey guys, can I, can I come back in? You, you kicked me out of my church. It's my church. Now he's also got a literal meaning here. And it's at the marriage supper of the Lamb. When he returns to remove his church from this earth. During the seven-year tribulation period on Earth, Revelation 19:7 through9 says, "Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. That's us. We are the church. We are the bride. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. I was talking with Rafi earlier. I'm righteous. And I don't say that as a boast. I say that as a fact. Because scripture declares it. I am right with him. Period. I am a saint. Not because I feel so good and because I do good things and I'm so nice. No, it's because the Bible says I am. Period. That's just the facts. But it is pretty cool. Let's see, where was I? And to her it was granted uh, to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints. Then he said to me, "Write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true sayings of God. Mealtimes are wonderful and can be intimate. Families sit around the dinner table and share our lives with each other my my wife she's the she's the family glue no 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 around the table, table we're sitting at the table if everyone's home we're sitting at the table together and it's always good you know you, you talk about school you talk about work you talk about future events we laugh and we joke we uh we have a great time around the dining room table I love it this is what the lord wants with us We don't call him father for nothing. Secondly here in the second part of of 12. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him. Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Why would John write this statement? Does it does Jesus not look like himself? Are their eyes somehow restricted We've got several examples already mentioned here that Jesus was not recognized by those who knew him. This is a a bit of a mystery to me. It says they knew it was him, but somehow there's a slight implication that his identity is not given away by his physical appearance, but rather by the things that he says and does. Why else would John write, they dare not ask him who it was? I would think it would be obvious who it was. But apparently it's not. So I'm I'm not sure. I reckon we'll find out when we get there. Verse 13, Jesus passes out food to the men. He's still serving them. Just like when he washed their feet the night before he died. Washing feet. Waiting tables are the lowliest tasks reserved for the servants. Yet Jesus flips the priorities and demonstrates that the servant's role is more important than the master's role. Matthew twenty three, eleven, He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Jesus has many attributes, and it is called, and he's called many things throughout Scripture. But in particular, he in particular he is called a servant. Acts three thirteen, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. Whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Jesus wants us to serve others and to deny ourselves. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If then your Lord, your teacher has washed your feet, you should do the same thing. For i would given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. For most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than him who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. When Bill Borden, son of, a wealth, of the wealthy Bordens, went to China as a missionary, many of his friends thought he was foolish to, quote, waste his life, as they put it, trying to convert a few heathens to Christianity. But Bill loved Christ and he loved men. He hadn't been out there very long before he contracted an oriental disease and died. At his bedside, they found a note that he had written while he was dying and it read, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. Bill had found more happiness in his few years of sacrificial service than most people find in a lifetime. There is no greater fulfillment than when I help or serve someone else out of love for God. Verse 14 tells us that this is the third time that the disciples have seen the post-resurrection Jesus. The first time was the day he resurrected in John 2019. The second was eight days later in the secret room behind closed doors in in, uh, chapter 20, verse 26. And here the third time, out in the open on the shores of Galilee. But there's one more time a-coming. We've looked at half the chapter. We started out backsliding but we've come in to servanthood. Father, we thank you for your love, your goodness. We thank you for who you are, what you've done. We thank you for your power. We thank you for laying your life down and the salvation that you provide for our souls. We could never repay you, Lord, but we are so grateful for who you are and what you've done, Lord. Go before us. Give us a desire to continue living a life pleasing to you and to do your will, Lord. And we do look forward to seeing you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.